0: It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Thursday, and the Philadelphia Union are out of the U.S. Open Cup. But the good news is that they're still in first place in the league, and I think that's what matters right now. Joining the program for a second time from MLSsoccer.com, you requested that I specifically get him back on the program. Former Dallas, Harrisburg midfielder, he also played for three teams in Scandinavia, it's Bobby Warshaw. Bobby, what's going on, man?
1: What's up, man? Thanks for having me. It's good
0: to be back. Absolutely, um, it's good to have you back on the program. People liked the discussion that we had this time last year. That episode did very good numbers. Uh, you also—it was funny because last year when you came on, you had just talked to Ernst Tanner, and you just did this this big, like, long sit-down interview with him. So that was timely. This time around, when I texted you yesterday yesterday and said, "Why don't you come back on the podcast?" You said, "Yeah, that's cool. I'm I'm doing the U.S. Open Cup." color commentary for the union. So that was uh, also timely as well. Um, How did that go for you, man? It seemed like it was fun. I thought you did a good job last night.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it's something new. It's like a new muscle to flex, a new skill to learn, but I enjoy it. And I thought it was a a good game. It's two teams that I enjoy watching that I I know a fair amount about. So it it was a fun night.
0: So how did that come about? Did you get in touch with somebody and say, "Hey, this is something I wanted. I want to try my hand at," or did somebody reach out to you? How did that come about?
1: My boss was asked if I wanted to do it. I mean, one of the goals of Open Cup right now is not just to increase the coverage, obviously, and make it better on ESPN Plus, but also just to get new voices into it. If you look at the people they've had, both in color and on play by play, it's just a whole bunch of new people coming through. A little bit of a of a training exercise for for some new people to build that skill set. Um, so when they asked me to do it, it's something I'd love to be able to do. I have no idea in this profession specifically what I want to do, whether it's uh, games, whether it's studio, whether it's writing, whether it's podcasts. So I'm more than happy to learn a little bit of all of it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've called three games in my entire life, and they're just uh, Philadelphia Adult League uh, soccer finals. But uh, I honestly found calling a game a lot harder uh, than I thought it was going to be. I don't know why, because there's nonstop action, and you sort of have to like be on your toes at mm-hmm. at every point. I know you were doing color color commentary and not and not doing play by play, but um, I mean, what did you make of that? Did you find it easy, difficult? Did it come naturally to you?
1: Well, you know this, but I think what people don't realize is that everything they see in terms of content creation is harder than it looks, and mm. I know that's just ubiquitous about most things in life. But you take you know a studio for example, and people watch the studio set on TV pre-game or post-game, they say, oh, those people are just up there talking soccer. They're just up there talking basketball right now for the NBA Finals. And it's so far from that. You know, if, if it was just two people talking about the sport, you would never tune in. The energy would be too low. The volume, the levels would be too low. Yeah, I mean, there's so much more that goes into it. It's the same for this. It's not like you just... In the booth, looking down, describing what you see in the game, there's so much more. You need to think about the way you describe things, the the length and time you have to describe things, the storylines you're telling. Um, so it, it's just harder than it looks, which always makes it fun to try and figure out that learning curve.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of presentation to it. I, I don't want to call it acting because it's not acting, but you got to sell it, and you got to be excited, and you got to have it in your voice at the same time. There's that whole side of it. So you could be the most knowledgeable person on the planet, and you could come across as a terrible broadcaster, you know. And then you also got to put put the time and effort into it. You know, I see the prep sheet of like a guy like Dave Leno who calls the Philadelphia Union games and the Bethlehem Steel games, and it looks like he wrote like. 10,000 words just in preparation for the game. Like, I don't think people understand that there's that whole other side of it, you know?
1: Totally. And then there's the old thing you write, you write it all down, you parrot all of it, then you only use 10%. And you can tell on a broadcast when the play-by-play people are forcing in the facts just because they worked hard to learn them, And especially for Open Cup. I mean, I can tell you some great stories from the first two rounds. When we're trying to figure out about the Golden State, whoever, versus... Orange County FC, two teams don't even have websites. We're trying to figure out the storylines, the players, the ages. So
0: it's definitely been an experience. Yeah, it's funny. I remember covering Open Cup games like in 2010 and 2011, where we were down at like the Soccer Plex in Boyd's, Maryland, and they didn't even have internet down there. So that was like my, my first claim to fame was having a phone with with a connection that could at least get like score updates out. You know, now you're playing this the one. all right. <laughs> and now you're playing this one at Audi Field, at like a brand new stadium down there. Um, what did you? So what was your what was your takeaway from the from the game itself last night?
1: It was a fine game. You know, it was, it was more exciting than 0-0, but I don't think either team is going to walk away from that and really feel like they played well. Um, that's that's. We should also acknowledge, too, going into the game, both teams were missing not just players but key players. I mean, D.C. United starts a player getting his first-ever first-team appearance in Bustamante defensive mid next to a right-back who had slid in. Yeah. They're going to go into D.C. United's system and not have any of a regular... Defensive midfielders, and then for Philadelphia to rotate the entire back four, um, and, and really it was just a clean, a clean change from left to right, and the goalkeeper. So I think both coaches had had some difficulties going in. But like I said, I thought that they did fine. You know, I think both teams did some positive things, but probably not enough where they're gonna put it on the mantle.
0: So a lot of discussion in Union Land this morning saying uh, p- people were kind of fractured saying, hey, is this a blessing in disguise? Because they're in first place in the league for like the first time ever and they don't need this distraction. Then you got the other side of people who were saying, well, you, you value the U.S. Open Cup. They've gotten to three finals in the last five years and it's a tournament that they can win. I think I come down more on the side of like, hey, you know, let's we don't need this distraction this year. Let's focus on the league. Um, where, what, what side do you come down on that?
1: Having been somebody who was a 12th or 13th player and had made it to an open cup semifinal, I always think more games are better because you can pick what, what lineup you put out. Yeah. It, it's a carrot for the other 15 guys on your team. So you take Aurelian Colin last night, a Fabinho, or Mark McKenzie. These guys who have been really good pros for Colin and Fabinho, who have been mentors, the young players playing over them, they still want to play. They still want to compete. So the fact that you had that game, you had a competitive matchup, and I don't know who DC United drew, but whoever Philadelphia would have played next would have been a fun game for them to play in. So I'm always a believer that more games is better and the worst you can do is just put out your second team and give them a game and give them a chance to compete. And if you lose at that point it's fine, but at least it was a ninety minutes and a chance for them to enjoy
0: themselves. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point because the union this time last year and in previous US Open Cup runs they didn't really have depth. You know, but for them to have guys like Real and Ibiza right. and the people that you mentioned, sure, yeah, obviously right. that may, that's a bigger deal this year. Um, they played four two three one last night. They've played it a couple times this year, but they've been more of a four four two diamond team this year, obviously with the, with the tactical change um, that Ernst put in. So, um, you you tell me, do you, do you like them in a four two three one, or do you like them in the diamond better?
1: Well, I think what Jim has done has just been absolutely perfect. You know, I'm a big believer that we don't think about soccer often enough in terms of a relay race. You know, we think to ourselves, like, the fifth minute is the same as the 30th minute, which is the same as the 60th minute, but it's not, right? The whole point is you need to win that last leg to win the race. You can lose the first three if you win that last one by a large enough margin, and that's what they've been doing, right? The diamond wears teams down, both because they press you and they make you work a little harder when you're in possession, but also because the union can also keep possession themselves and make you chase, and just both, like, physically and and mentally – have to work hard for 70 minutes, and then you bring Arsenio. Then you go to the four two three one, mm-hmm. and then you throw a little bit of a curve bar, an uppercut or however you want to describe it, and it's been working. It Actually, there's a few inefficiencies in soccer that blow my mind. Why teams don't have better set pieces, why every team doesn't have an Alan Gordon or Ophino, and why every team doesn't think about the fact that it, it, it doesn't matter if you're winning at the end of 70 minutes. You get no prize winning after 70 you should be winning after 90, and it's more important. It's everything to win after 90 and nothing to win after 70. So why why do people play all their best players? Why do people try and win after 30 minutes? And I think with the way they have set it up, using the blend of the 4-4-2 and the 4-2-3-1 is perfect, and it, it, it's just so weird to me. How so few teams approach it
0: like that? Yeah, it's interesting to me because I think when you came on the podcast last year, you were talking about the idea that they they don't really they didn't really have a plan B last year. You know, where where if their possession game was not working, you know, Madunian and Dochkal were not able to get up there and sort of ping the ball around and, and control the game. That there really, there really wasn't another way for them to play. Um, and I think what I like the most about the Diamond is that. You know Harris Madunyan is probably one of the best passers in the league, obviously. And when you put two two working box to box shuttlers next to him that do a lot of the dirty work, the dirt the dirty running, to use one of Jim's terms, um, it just it just mitigates Harris's defensive liabilities, and I think that plays to the strengths of of Jamiro and Alejandro. You know?
1: Can I actually? I want to adjust what you said, and maybe I didn't describe properly. I actually don't think teams need a plan B per se. I think mm-hmm. you need variability. I think you need a, like an increased quantity and the number of ways you can beat a team. And mm-hmm. I don't think it was the lack of the plan B that hurt the union. It was the fact that they could really only beat you through possession. They couldn't beat you on set pieces. They couldn't beat you in transition. Yeah.
2: Um, whereas you
1: look at LAFC, LAFC is actually just annihilating teams in two or three different ways. But they've all they've always had the same formation. They've always had the same attacking and defending ideas. It's generally looked the same, but they can just do it in multiple areas. Uh, and I would actually say... Largely the same thing about the Union right now. I mean, for all the talk about them being the four-four-two diamond, for them being a pressing team, most of their games have still looked like last year, haven't it? Yeah. They had the ball, Madunian gets a lot of touches, Bedoya yeah. gets a lot of touches, and they played in front of the opposition when the opposition was set. And if i if I were Jim, I would still be saying go for it. I mean, they in the commentary last night. I was trying to say if you were to watch the New York Red Bulls, if you were to watch life, if you were to watch these teams that Ernst Tanner trying to copy. Harrison and doesn't play the ball into the striker's feet. Harrison Union picks his head up and drives the ball sixty yards behind the center backs. And says it, the problem for union and the problem for Badoya, their guys like to connect their passes. Right? It like hurts their soul to have a to have a missed pass. <laughs> That's part of what the Union are trying to do. Listen, it's fine if you don't connect it. It's the next one that matters. Play it there, and we don't have to win this one. We're going to win the second ball when we're sixty yards farther up, and they're all stretched out. Yeah. I don't think they've quite figured that out. Where it's, you don't have to connect the pass.
0: You know, it's interesting to me because I I agree with what you're saying, how you see remnants of last year's team. Um, you know, last year they were so good with, with Dojcal, uh Alejandro Bedoya getting up on the right, Keegan Rosenberry getting up on the right, and then they'd string together – you know, four or five minutes in a game where they looked like Barcelona knocking the ball around, you know? So now you play a different formation, a different shape where, you, but you see a lot of that possession game bleed into a pressing game at the same time. And I don't know how else to describe It's like, it's like in another sport, if like, uh, like I remember I went to West Virginia, right? So John Beeline, who's now the coach of the Cavaliers, he recruited three point shooters and he had a lot of great shooters. Then Bob Huggins comes in, who's a total opposite coach defensive coach wants to full court press now he's got a defensive team but they're also good shooters at the same time so isn't it isn't it interesting how you see the blend of those two styles and you get the best of both worlds
1: yeah absolutely I would actually argue that they haven't even figured out that blend fully yet that they've been playing well but when I watch they've mostly been doing what they were doing last year but better because of the continuity yeah because Madunian and Bedoya and Trusty and Elliott and Picot and, and all these guys Arrington has been in the system. He's been around the players. Um, I actually don't even think they've really adopted the pressing system and forced turnovers and transition moments as well as they could or probably should be doing. Uh, so it's, you know, I think other teams have won. look at the Columbus Crew or the Galaxy, where these teams have found points, and you're like, ah, you know, maybe they're winning despite not playing well. Or Maybe it's actually just a lie. I actually think the Union are this team who are winning despite not even playing at their
0: best yet. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, let's talk about Jamiro Montero real quick. I'm ready to say that he's a top five Philadelphia Union player of all time. And I'm not, I'm not, that's not a hot take. That's... <laughs> let's go. No, that's it's not an exaggeration. Really, it's not a hot take. I just I watch. I see a guy who can play every position in the midfield, and he's just really the prototypical low center of gravity, box to box kind of dude. I mean, I know you played in the midfield on professional teams for forever, and like as a as a rec league center back, I, I you know the the biggest pain in the ass to defend is that small low center of gravity guy with a lot of mobility who's just sort of all over the field like I'm just really impressed by his game um what he does on both ends of the field and uh just his willingness to kind of get on the ball and be around the ball all the time
1: well, let, well let's do the full list you can't just throw him in there unless you're a list prepared so what is your five
0: so what's my thought on him
1: no no you're five what you, if you're gonna say he's one of the top five union players of all time oh you have, <laughs> you have to have that list ready right
0: <laughs> God, well, I guess Sebastian Letu has to be number one, right? Um, you know, f- uh, you know, tr- Tranquillo Barnetta, even though he was here for a short time, you could put him in your top five as well. Um, God, and even Vince Nogueira has to be there. Vince oh, Noguera, uh, Maguera, I think.
2: Medina.
0: Yeah, Vince Nogueira. I might put Carlos Valdez even up there because even though he was a defender, I mean, and then you get into weird posi- positional thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hard to compare guys from different. Um, but I, th- I think you know. Actually, you bring up Gary. It's very interesting to me because I think Jamiro has a lot of the traits that Vince had in his game, where he likes to drop deep, he likes to get on the ball, he's really mobile. Um, but I think Jamiro offers a little bit more going forward than than Vince did. But I don't know. I've just been really impressed watching him play. I agree.
1: I'm I'm very. I'm not quite ready to see as a top five player in franchise history. He's specific <laughs> eight games for the
2: franchise.
1: Well, uh, you're right. There's definitely seeds of that. Incredibly athletic, good on the ball. I will say on the, on the flip side, I do think that his lack of awareness of, of spots and moments and his recognition of where his teammates are is hurting the team at times. Yeah. And I'll you know, give the example of if, if when they can't quite break a team down, you know, at some point, Montero is just going like to launch a shot 30 yards. Or when the ball does go from the right back into Bedoya, into Medunian's feet, he connects the pass. And Montero's often the one that tries to break the line and connect the one-two which is smart. somebody needs to make that action Where you finally change the pace and go through the line, but it just doesn't come off often enough where you say to yourself uh, Is it his fault? Have they not worked on it? It feels like he's often the disconnect the, the disconnect piece of there disconnected piece.
2: Yeah, no so that's a-
1: disconnected, disconnected <laughs> um, You get the idea so I agree incredibly talented I do think he needs a little bit more time to to get in a uh, you know get
0: coordinated. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really fair point. And then it opens really up a transition, a whole can of worms, into why they can't break down teams. Because they had trouble against Seattle. They had trouble against Portland. They had some trouble against Colorado at the same time, too. Where, where number one, I think if you have a healthy Marco Fabian, who's clicking and who has found his place in the team, I think he helps unlock a defense. I'm still not that impressed with the fullback play, them getting up the flanks. I know that Jim is a coach that, that sees – you know, he said multiple times. You know, I see my fullbacks as defenders first, which is fine. But there's, you don't really have to do a ton of defending when the team is just, when the opponent is just bunkering anyway. So, um, what, what do you what do you see from the tip of the diamond and from the fullbacks in their role in kind of unlocking uh, bunkering teams?
1: So this is my, you know, if I would have a criticism of Jim. This is it would have been this exact thing over the last year and a half. It just it doesn't look like they have perfectly coordinated patterns where when the ball goes here a B and C need to happen you know I don't see their training sessions maybe he does this but when I watch it's when Elino gets the ball to the end line like and I look up they're, they're not there's two people at the top of the box there's two people going near post and it's just got to be you're there you're there you're there and Elino doesn't even have to look because he knows that people are in a B and C yeah. he makes the pass and same when Kai Wagner gets to the you know the side of the 18, he already knows where the three people are because you've already had your intentional possession. So people are in spots. like They're already within 30 yards of goal. So what happens next? And it doesn't seem to me like they've worked on those to the point where it happens with muscle memory. When you take LAFC, for example, right? When Carlos Vela or Latif Blessing gets the ball 30 yards of goal, you know where all four people are going, right? Yeah. So Rossi makes his run in. Jordan Harvey overlaps. Carlos Vela cuts in. Like, And it's the same thing over and over. It's just muscle memory. And I don't see that happening with the union. And part of the reason they're so good is that they flow so well, they all interchange so well. But at some point, are you a chess player at all? I'm not a chess player, but are you a chess player?
0: Uh, no, but I know enough about the rules, I think, to get an analogy.
1: So one thing they say about chess, which I didn't know, but I've read a couple of chess books, is that the early part of chess is like fairly free-flowing, but there's moves, right? You do you, you get to pick from a certain number of moves.
2: Yeah. The middle
1: part of a chess game is where there's the quote-unquote creativity, and you have to make decisions on the fly. Mm-hmm. And usually the end of chess games are set plays. Like There are ways you finish off an opponent. I think soccer is largely the same way. Even though we like to think that it's all about creativity and express yourself in the final third, you actually should have finishing patterns. When the ball is here, these three things happen, make the pass, and I, I'm not sure that they've nailed that
0: yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's probably the final. Yeah, I mean, that's always kind of the cherry on top, the last thing that a team learns, you know, is that clinical kind of. And that comes with chemistry, too, and understanding everybody and where your teammates like the ball. And, you know, you get into patterns of play, and, and that, that goes for both sides of the ball, too. Um, you wrote about Il Senior this week for MLSSoccer.com. I wrote about him for crossing broad. Uh, I think my first takeaway from the New York game was that I was sitting here thinking like, don't we have enough film on him by now? Like don't defenders kind of have an idea of what they're getting themselves into. And then I watched the film again and he's beating, he beat two double teams. Um, He's Hmm. receiving the ball almost like a yard from the, the touch line. Um, and then if you try to put him on his left foot, he's just gonna toe. He's just gonna drive on his right and toe poke a shot past you, or is gonna make that slashing diagonal run and take away the second defender. So I don't even like. I don't know what kind of what this is or what question I'm asking you, but I guess what I would say is where would where would you start if you were an opposing coach or an opposing defender and you saw Cino come on the field? Yeah, it's
1: really hard to answer the other side of that first. One thing I like about El- you know and I've always felt this, and now that I coach, I coach this, he only has three moves, right? Yeah. I like that like, does a whole wide range of things. He snakes, he cuts his ball with his right foot, steps over with his right, goes to his left, or if you take that away, he faints to his left and goes back to his right. You know, it's not, and really it's just the two when he picks up steam. The snake only actually comes when he's at a standstill. Yeah.
2: So when he
1: actually is dribbling at you, it's two moves, which, you can't like to think to yourself is so simple, but I think this is another one of the things that people miss. You need a move and you need a counter move. And if you do the move well, it's impossible to stop if you're going at speed. And that's what Ocino teaches us. You don't need to have a full bag of tricks, which he does. He just is like ruthlessly efficient. A, B, or C, if you take one away, he's got good enough balance. So that's what I, I I hope that there's, if there's young people out there listening to this who are attackers, I hope that they do the same thing master a move that you can do at full speed 100 out of 100 because even if people know it's coming they can't stop it uh, on the flip side of that how would I stop
2: him I don't
0: know yeah. <laughs> you know it's interesting because like normally as a defender like my first thought is like okay I'm going to put him on his weak foot right like don't let him on his right but uh, he gets on his right anyway, you know, and he's quick enough to kind of play that little uh, shank turn with his right foot and nutmeg a guy and get back to the right. And then you're turning around and you're, you're 10 feet behind him, you know, um, yeah. you know, that's a sign of a great player. Like I said, you know, for, for years, everybody knows that Arian Robin is going on his left and he, and he finds a way to get on his left anyway. You know, everybody knows that Ricardo Koreshma is going to, curl a ball with the outside of his right foot and he does it anyway. You know, the best players it's kind of like a basketball term. Like, he's so good at getting to his spots. Like, he gets to his spots no matter what. And, like, I just, I I don't even really know where I would start. I'm just so happy
1: that you did the sentence with those seniors and Robin and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a friend that's a big basketball fan. We went to high school together. And we used to watch Kobe. And he'd be like, Yeah, all the announcers get mad at the defenders or how modern defenders don't work hard. He's like, How the hell do you stop Kobe Bryant? Right? Yeah. Like, you yeah. lay off, he shoots a three at, at, at uncontested un- three, his rate's are like 55 percent Yeah. Get yeah, close, He always by you and he dunks on you. You yeah, like sometimes you just have to acknowledge it's really hard to stop a player.
0: Sometimes you just got to tip your hat and give credit where credit's due. You know, and now that I think about it beyond yeah. that, like, I think what Seattle did, and I could be wrong on this, but I think the only real option that you have since he's, now he's he's relegated to this role of sub and he's almost exclusively a sub, uh, the only other thing I can think of is to go like for like with a defensive swap. Like, once you see El Seno coming in, you bring in another you bring in another midfielder and just kind of shadow him. I mean, it seems weird to, like, man-mark a substitute, but, you know, it's such a big part of what the union do that if you have a defensive midfielder yeah. sitting on the bench and you say, El is coming on at 65, you're coming on at 65. You know, you are Gennaro Gattuso. Just glue yourself to him and don't let him get the ball.
1: Yeah. I would take offense to the fact that you said relegated because I would say he was actually promoted. I would say he was listed. And this is just one of the things that we need to change about our vocabulary.
2: Yeah. Because,
1: because – he wasn't relegated, right? He is the star of that team. He is the best player on the team, probably the most important player to their success. On the team, it just so happens that he's better at executing it in the last 20 minutes opposed to the first 70. And I think this is what what Jim has done so well is he's found a way to get that message through. And I could go through a list. I mean, in that column I wrote, you know, I said, like, these 10 guys or whatever it was, like, they should not start. They cannot help their teams as much starting as they can in the last 20 minutes. And it's up to the manager... To get that through to their heads and give them their half million dollars. Little, you only paid like a starter. Here you go. Right? I'll give you a bonus every time you don't start. How about
0: that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good way to look at it. Like, yeah, because really I guess you wouldn't use the word relegated when you think that the guy is having his best year in major league soccer after four seasons, you know? Um
1: He's won a team, what, nine, twelve points on his own? Like he's, yeah. he's not yeah, I would not call it relegated.
0: Yeah, and he's got the number one assist per per 90 minutes ratio on the in in the league so I mean that obviously that stands for something too and I, I just the funny thing I think then the next the next train of thought is like all right well if he's doing this now then what was the problem before because you watched the same thing I did you watched him beat the first defender 2016, 2017, 2018 and normally he would lose the ball on his second move or the second skill check. I don't know if it's just a product of him coming off the bench him losing weight. Uh, him understanding the league a little bit better. Maybe it's all three of those things at the same time. But I'm trying to, I'm sitting here thinking, like, is that really the only difference between 2019 and 2016, is that he's accepted a different role?
1: I, I think there's two parts. One is that it's just confidence, right? And you go to a new league, you go to a new field, it's just hard to get that feeling, right? Because the way you are as a player isn't just what you can do with your feet or your body, it's what's going on in between your ears. And if you just don't have that same feeling um, it's hard to, to play the same way, and he has that feeling, right? He has, like, whatever's going on in his brain circuits or having his maximum ability. In terms of his body, yeah, I think that's also part of it, too, that his – if you actually go back and look at his numbers at Shakhtar, too, he didn't play a ton of games every year.
2: So mm-hmm.
1: I think him coming in and trying to start and play 20 games, 90 minutes, um, it just wasn't – it was new to him. It wasn't right for him. I mean, he was largely, like, a big game specialist for Shakhtar.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: so yeah. I think
1: it's it's taken some time to figure these things
0: out. Well, and people, I think, also lose track of, like, who he was surrounded by on those Shakhtar teams because he had two different stints with them. Uh, you know, Willian was on that team. Uh, Douglas Costa, I want to say, was on that team. Like, they had, like, really, really good, like, four or five attacking pieces on those teams. Yeah. So it wasn't like he necessarily had to be the focal point even when he was on the field, you know? And um, I think that's, that's another, you know, thing this time too. He doesn't have to be the guy. Remember they tried playing him as a 10 a little bit last year, the year before that wasn't really his, his MO either. You know, they, they started him in a bunch of games. He showed a lot of good interchange with Keegan Rosenberry, but yeah, I mean, sometimes I guess it's just about accepting a role and embracing that role. I guess, I, I guess it's not any more complicated than that
1: you need to give guys like Madun and Bedoya credit too because you need leaders to, to help that it's not just
0: the coach yeah for sure all right Bobby last one for you and then I'll let you go and I've, I figured this has nothing to do with the union but it's like the hottest topic of all time and it, it actually got local Philadelphia sports radio talking about soccer so go figure you know uh, <laughs> I wonder What wonder we're going to talk about I wonder what this is <laughs> uh, 13 goals for the United States women. I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. The only, pro- the only problem I think I had was the celebrations after, like, goals 8, 9, and 10. Because at the end of the day, like, number one, goal differential is a thing, and that's part of the tiebreaker, right? And then you can get into all the, the crazy hot takes and think pieces and shit like that. But the, literally, I, d- I did not have any problem with them scoring 13 goals. The only problem I have is thought, I thought the celebrations were a little tone deaf. So...
1: Okay. I generally have a rule that I don't talk about this topic, but you brought it up, and I think it's okay. It's your, your, your job is to create content. The Canadian women that talked about it that went viral on Twitter, their job is to talk about content. The Sports Talk Radio, they need to talk about it, right? It's what's <laughs> interesting, and they are paid to do that job.
2: Yeah. For
1: everyone else, like, to me, this is more about like the, hu- the human nature than it is about soccer. Yeah. Your opinion doesn't matter, right? Like Everyone's like, I thought it was wrong. It literally does. Can I cuss on this?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It,
1: it, it doesn't fucking matter what you as an individual think. <laughs> the only thing that matters is how Thailand felt, right? So like whether you think it's inappropriate. It's. It's. It, this is like to me the ultimate adage of, of walk a day in the other person's shoes. Like just for one second, people don't think about how it makes you feel because how it makes you feel doesn't matter at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How does this make Thailand feel? If you were in Thailand, shoes, how would this make you feel? And I'll tell you this, Kevin. If I played LeBron James in basketball and we played to 11, if he dunked on me to make it 11 nothing, and did is LeBron celebration, nothing would make me feel better. And I think any reasonable person can say <laughs> that Thailand Thailand felt perfectly fine that Megan Rapinoe cared enough about them, respected them enough, respected the occasion enough to celebrate. Um, and again, this is about what I think about the celebration, not what I think about the goals. It's me trying to think if I were Thailand, and also just like also watching them and taking their responses after the game. This to me is not a conversation. It seems so obvious what we would all want the opponent to do, um, and it, it's just like people. Like, you don't need to have your, you know, you don't need to inject your own personal opinion every time.
0: I agree, man. That's a really good take, and I think to take that a step further. You know, Thailand. This is their first time playing in a World Cup. Okay. Um, you know, now you have an understanding of what you're up against and and what it takes to reach that level. You know, I I think it would be like you say, I think it's disrespectful to take your foot off the gas and just knock the ball around. Or, like do whatever they do in youth soccer. Like you got to complete 20 passes before you can take a shot or something like that. You know, uh, this is pro sports. The lack of parity is what it is. But even if I go out and play Casa League on a Saturday in Philadelphia and we're getting our ass kicked, like four nothing by Lone Star Junior or something like that. Like I don't, I don't want them to to stop playing. Like I'm out there. Busting my ass yeah. for ninety minutes because I want to be a competitor at whatever level it is. So I, I, I would probably agree with you when it comes to the respect angle. You know,
1: here's what I had though: it was douchey. Like that—that's what it comes down to. It wasn't. It wasn't. If Thailand's fine with it, everyone else should be fine with it. But a reasonable, reasonable person can acknowledge that it was douchey.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and like you're opening yourself up to that. Uh, so it wasn't wrong as long as Thailand didn't think it was wrong. But like. The fact that you even opened yourself up to this conversation, you should have known this conversation was coming. So that's my only thing. Like, was it wrong? It's not. A, it's not for us to say. Was it douchey?
0: Yeah. Well, whatever it takes to get soccer on uh, the airwaves in the United States of America and Philadelphia. Bobby Warshaw from MLS Soccer um, He's also got a book out. It's called When the Dream uh, Became Reality. Where can you Where can you find that, Bobby? Amazon that would say is
1: the best.
0: The best place. Amazon.com, When the Dream Became Reality, Bobby Warshaw, former Dallas, Harrisburg midfielder, Mechanicsburg native. Uh, Bobby, thanks for coming back on the podcast, man. We appreciate it. Uh, Always interested in talking uh, some deeper tactical stuff with you. And uh, we'll have to do it a third time sometime, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, thanks, brother. Okay, we're going to get to your questions, your comments, and your concerns. Uh, But first, we have two orders of business uh, before we get there. Number one is the uh, comments or the, the paragraph that Grant Wall wrote about the Philadelphia Union that some people seem to be uh, taking issue with this, this week. And it comes from the annual uh, MLS Ambition rankings that he does, and he has the Union ranked at 17th in the league this year. Last year they were ranked 20th. Uh, So here's the paragraph in question that people are complaining about because it's only just one little blurb, one little paragraph for each team, right? so Philadelphia Union. uh, Quote, there has been plenty of concern about owner Jay Sugarman's interest in his team and for good reason, but the signing of Marco Fabian on a free transfer for a $2 million salary was a move Mm -hmm. in the right direction. And the unexpected rise to first place in the Eastern Conference has been a positive for the club. Still, don't get too excited yet. Philadelphia has done some innovative things with its player academy and school, which has produced some promising young players, but the atmosphere at games in Chester, O. Chester, still doesn't totally feel major league, especially in comparison with Philly's other sports teams. All right, so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess people had had beef with him saying that it didn't feel major league in there, the, ap- the atmosphere part of it, the atmosphere in Chester. And uh, obviously it's been rocking down there lately because the team's good. They're winning, they're in first place, and the weather is warm. Uh, the atmosphere was god awful down there in March and April because they weren't because people hadn't bought in yet and because the weather was shitty. So I don't think there was anything, I don't think there was anything outrageous that he said in there. I think the one thing I think Major League is a weird term, I guess, because I go to like four hundred Sixers games a year now at the Wells Fargo Center. It's it's different because there's all this piped in music and stuff blaring over the loudspeakers and Dunk Squad is doing backflips in front of you and you know shooting uh, t-shirts out of a cannon and all this. They like, kind of manufactured like typical. American four-for-four four kind of stuff, right? Where when Talon is rocking, it's it's a lot of – it's more authentic. It's natural noise. It's the Sons of Ben going crazy. Uh, the rest of the fans getting into it. So I think it's less about Major League and not Major League. I feel like there's more authenticity coming out of Talon than in places like the Link or the Wells Fargo Center or whatever. I mean, they don't do anything crazy at the Link. They do one cheer, E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles, and it's a bunch of dudes just yelling the rest of the time. So I, I think the Major League thing was a little – a little weird like it's just the same as anything any stadium any team any arena i mean you go to the wells Fargo center for flyers games this year and it was fucking dead in that building um, but when the flyers are playing in the stanley cup Finals in 2010 the place is rocking so i don't know i, I didn't see anything wrong with what grant had to say i just thought it was kind of funny because i can't remember the last time he's ever been to chester or if he's ever ever been there at all i've i never saw him there in like you know eight years of covering the team so go figure all right, so the second order of business now is that we have the dudes at SOB Tallahassee, the Tallahassee branch of the Sons of Ben, Mike and Ezra, have have once again come up huge here. They have sent another shipment of craft beer uh, to the Fishtown headquarters of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Four more beers to try. Um, you remember the last time we did this uh, – uh, Dave was actually here in studio and we did we tried a couple of the beers that they sent to us. I think I, I think I spilled one on the keyboard. Um, I might have been halfway buzz by the time I got to the end of the questions. Uh, we, we sampled it. We sampled a bunch of stuff from uh, De- from the deep brewery. I think both of them were from deep. Um, and so I was sitting here thinking, well, I don't, I don't have anybody in studio with me this time. So I would love to get somebody in here. We can try it together. I asked my wife if she was interested in coming up and trying these, but, uh, she's taking care of the baby. The baby who, by the way, was, uh, today was sound asleep on the couch and she pooped herself to the point uh, where she just woke up and she had a startled look on her face and then she smiled and started laughing. So I'm glad that she found that funny. But, uh, yeah, so what I want to do, I want I will go down the list here. Um, here's a note from SOB Tallahassee. Kevin, thanks for all your hard work on the Always Soccer podcast. Uh, there are four beers in here from Tallahassee, Florida. The Proof 850 is a pale ale uh, named after Tallahassee's area code, Grasslands to the Goal. Uh, Is an IPA. It's got a soccer ball on the front of it, which is cool. Uh, We know you're not a fan of IPA, but give this one a try. Uh, Brewed for our local soccer team in Tallahassee. It's uh, the motto. uh, To the goal is the motto. Uh, So that was the grasslands. To the goal. We have another one from Deep. It's called Spear Reserve. It's an English golden ale. And uh, we have another one from Deep. It's called Sublime Key Lime. uh, Key Lime Berliner Weiss. Uh, with tart good on a hot day so this is what I want to do I, I don't like maybe I'll get somebody in here next time we'll do the other three but I had to try the uh, the key lime so we're going to pop the key lime right now ah yes and we're going to give this a try it's got a picture of a submarine on it and it's uh deep brewing company Tallahassee brewing to greater depths let's give it a try that that is um it's pretty damn good tastes like a uh, key lime pie and it's a sour it's tart but it's not like um it's not overpowering like you know what i mean sometimes you have those sours people don't think like sours are necessarily like sessionable you know i don't i don't know anybody who sits there and grabs like a like a, a pack of like sour monkey and drinks like four of them right do we know anybody who does that is that possible um I like tart beer just as much as any, but I love the key lime flavor. Like it does taste really summery. Uh, we went down to, hang on. Yeah, it's really good. It's really damn good. I might have to get the, um, Mike and Ezra to send another one up here. Actually, uh, my wife and I went to another brewery down at the shore um, this week. We crossed another one off the list. We went to uh, garden state beer company down in uh G- I think, I think Galloway. Galloway Township might have been the mailing address. The um, area is kind of weird. It's on like the uh, the White Horse Pike, which was which is also known as the Dead Hooker Highway. Uh, I didn't come up with the name; somebody else came up with the name. But that's where all the cheap motels are for the people who are like gambling in Atlantic City, but they can't, um, like they don't want to stay in like the rich bitch like hotels, you know. Uh, but it was good. They had like a really good lemon saison. They had like a blueberry. Uh, Like a blueberry wheat. They made a really good blueberry wheat. Hidden Sands makes a really good strawberry wheat. I feel like they make like the South Jersey breweries and the breweries down the shore uh, do really good with that uh, organic stuff that's like grown down there, you know? South Jersey blueberries, like uh, produce. It was really damn good. I thought Garden State was good. It had like a diverse um, diverse, uh, beer list, kind of like Hidden Sands does. Uh, Slack Tide and Ludlam are good too. So I think the next time we're down there, we're going to try to go further south. I think Bucket Brigade is another one that we were going to try to try to hit, and then we were going to go back down to Cape May again. I think there's another one that opened near Cape May that we were going to try to go to as well. There's a third that opened uh, on five fifty nine in Summer's Point that I think was closed when we were down there this past week called Summer's Point Brewing, I think it was called, like right where you get on the Garden State Parkway there, coming down 559. So we're going to try to do that. But, okay, I'm going to um, I'm gonna keep working on the Sublime Key line, which is really, really damn good. Uh, thanks for sending these to us again. They're, they're awesome. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll convince my wife to make her uh, podcast debut next week, and we'll do the other three uh, live on that podcast. Well, it can't be live because it's a podcast. But um, anyway, let's go through and let's see what uh, questions y'all have. Once my phone decides to uh, load her up here, there were a lot of questions about the um, about the U.S. Open Cup and whether and what Bobby and I talked about in the beginning. Whether you thought it was a good idea or whether you thought it was a bad idea, I, I thought he honestly, I thought it was a really good point to say. Like you do have squad rotation now for the first time in a long time so i think what like if your concern was hey we can't run harris madunian into the ground we can't run bedoya into the ground you know well they actually they do have Aurelian and collin and um when well, they traded Derek jones they don't have him they don't have warren kerball anymore mm-hmm. maybe they're not as deep as i thought they were now but yeah they had an entire different back line you got uh anthony fontana it was great to finally see him on the field too so i don't know i just i just feel like there was a little bit of uh A little bit of fatigue I can't describe it I feel like I had a little bit of U.S. Open Cup fatigue where I was like you know we've been here before we've seen them lose these in heartbreaking fashion and before the U.S. Open Cup was like the Super Bowl of the union season because there wasn't anything else to play for you know it's like well we have already bombed out we're like fighting for a sixth seed or we're already out of the playoffs at this point like 2015 so we're going to put all of our energy into the Open Cup and now that's not the case because the team's in first place halfway through the season so I didn't I think I was fine with them losing that game last night. It's just like, you know, you have another priority, something else you can focus on, whatever, with the Open Cup for this year. We'll come back to it next year, you know. Um, Tallahassee Union, we're going to give them the first question. Um, Do the Union look to move Blake in the summer window uh, if he has a solid gold cup? I don't know. I mean, I I just feel like that ship has kind of sailed, don't you guys? Like, if they didn't move Blake by now, are they ever going to move him? I don't know if I've seen any improvement in Andre's possession or kicking game too. I, like it's hard for me to see him go into a big European team or even a middle of the table, European team. If he's, if he's not better with his feet, if he's not better in possession, I mean, he's a great shot stopper, but most, most goalkeepers are, you know, uh, number two, any murmurs on acquiring another striker, uh, Cashper Santos are good, but not elite. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Sergio to take that next step. You know, I mean, I think we've been through this before though. And you say that, uh, know if if you're not if you pay the money to you know keep if if you're looking to gather assets to help keep Jamiro around full time like what money is left on the striker position you know I mean do you wait for Fabian to move do move on from Fabian at the end of the year and then put that salary towards a striker next year you know again I think it's what Joe and I talked about last week with you know, this is on Jay now this is a really important transfer window for jay because his team is in first place and if you can't if you can't get him to spend when his team's in first place and try to you try to make it over the finish line then you're never going to be able to convince him you know um and that was the third question that they asked there so sorry uh Lou Kirsch says hey Kevin, why does fishtown suck so much uh probably because you live there hashtag you poop face well thanks for checking in Lou I appreciate that uh ironically I just uh, finished a hot takes article for crossing broad 50 more hot takes for Philadelphia sports fans where I explain how hip, how Fishtown is not hipster anymore. Fishtown's not really hipster. It's like older white families and some like Gen X people, like most of the real hipsters, most of the people that you think are hipsters have already moved up like west of Frankfurt Avenue up into Kensington or they're down in East Passyunk. You know, like the people who like get a book from the thrift store and then they wear, they have like weird tattoos and they like, you know, drink coffee all the time. I don't know, whatever the fuck you want to call a hipster these days. But, yeah, I mean, Fishtown's more. Fishtown's not that anymore. So, um, blah, blah, blah. Richard Saunders says, is the takeaway from the U.S. Open Cup gritty performance, a gritty performance of our second team or a shameful loss on the road and a return of inability to close out games? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Bedoya uh, freeze came and kind of flapped at the equalizer, but Bedoya, um... You know, I guess he kind of eased up a little bit because he thought freeze was coming. I mean, he wasn't exactly on on McCann the way he could have been. I don't know; Th- those things just kind of happen uh, with with the communication with young goalkeepers, new goalkeepers. Um, but the f- the penalty at the end when Bedoyev, um clipped him—I guess it was Acosta, right? Clipped Acosta, and McKenzie might have got a little bit of him too at the same time. It didn't look—it didn't necessarily look lazy. I don't know. Maybe it was lazy, but they just looked tired, man. I mean. 120 minutes on the road after you played, uh, you know, an, an emotional kind of quote unquote rivalry comeback game against Red Bull. I don't, I don't have any. I, I, didn't, I was kind of numb to the whole thing. I didn't really see, see. I didn't have a, a big reaction to it one way, one way or another. Um, and then Richard and Lou started arguing on my feed here. Um, this was from Dave Zeitlin. He says, uh, hey, Kevin, first time, long time. How often do you think Carlos Valdez thinks about the fact that he was ejected from an Open Cup game at the Maryland Soccerplex in consecutive seasons? I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, I mean, those are really D.C. games, man. I mean, there's always something. Carlos Valdez getting ejected. Peter Novak got ejected. Um, the press box didn't have, like, Wi-Fi like or e- even, like, Ethernet, Internet hookups. So we were, like, tweeting scores on our phone. Dave and I tried to go down 2013. There was an accident on the Platte Bridge and we sat on the Platte Bridge for two hours and we and we just ended up having to cancel the trip. We had to back down. I had to drive backwards in reverse down the Platte Bridge to get off of it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, this is when the Platte Bridge was under construction. I don't know if anybody takes a Platte down to, down to Union Games, but the plat was under construction uh, back then. And it was like, there was a concrete barrier and there was only one lane going each way. So I don't know how you could even like get in an accident. You're just driving straight. Some guy climbed up, like turned his car upside down and got on the middle barricade somehow. I don't even know how it was possible, but so yeah, Dave and I sat there for, for two, um, two hours. Then we drove backwards down the, the plat bridge. And that was our adventure there. Soccerplex, man. What a great time. Uh, there's some discussions in here. Uh, Ezra from uh, SOB Tallahassee says, Spike Eskin of Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast was at the Pride Night game. Uh, in fact, he lit the bull on fire. He had great things to say about the union. Maybe you could get a uh, RTRS and Always Soccer mashup. Um, by the way, you and Russ didn't say the name of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, look, Spike has been a um, union supporter for a long time. He's He's been coming down to games for years now. He was at the 2015 US Open Cup final. I think it goes back to... Uh, his days with YSP like 2010 2011 I don't know if y'all remember that uh Danny Bonaducci and Gordon and some of the other DJs who were on YSP before they flipped formats in 2011 they had a like a big partnership oh well, it wasn't a partnership but they did a lot of stuff with the union like they came down and did publicity for him and um they had people on their station every so often and i think that's probably where where Spike started from on that um i don't know if there's going to be a crossover uh Spike and i are just on opposite sides of the of the uh, spectrum right now, because Crossing Broad and and WIP are kind of like, you know, we do we used to do the radio war stuff. He runs WIP now, so I don't know if there's going to be any kind of uh, those two things are naturally like like where where there's a natural conflict there between those two entities uh, for a long time. But I don't know, maybe maybe something in the future. I wouldn't I wouldn't rule anything out. You know, I think that'd be pretty cool. I think there's a lot of crossover between Union fans and Sixers fans. Right? I think, like, don't most people who like the Union also like basketball, too? I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, Nico says, uh, if we could never play another U.S. Open Cup match again, I wouldn't complain. Yeah, I feel you. Maybe it's that fatigue, you know? Uh, Connor also says, first time, long time. I think the lack of respect for the Open Cup is appalling. The Open Cup is greater than the supporter shield, especially with an unbalanced East-West regular season schedule. Uh, is it greater than the supporter shield i don't know it's easier it's it's easier to win the open cup than the supporter shield you got to win more games over a longer amount of time to win the shield even if you put an asterisk on it you know um i hate the unbalanced thing too but like look what what happens if you draw like if there's an upset in the first round and you draw like bohemians football club out of like uh baltimore or something like that you know what i mean or whatever the whatever the hell that team was called um, you know, other teams have harder paths, you know, like L.A. is eventually going to have to play L.A. And then, like, Seattle and Portland in their bracket. You know, wouldn't you say that the the Eastern Conference is not as good? You could make the same argument with the way that the, the Open Cup is bracketed geographically, as you would say, that there's an unbalanced East-West regular season schedule, you know. Um, hang on, let me get some more sublime key lime here. Um, Jared says... Do you put any stock in the That's So Union finish last night? Or based on the lineup available, impressed that Jim was able to run out who he did. Um, Yeah, I don't know. The subs were kind of weird. Two fullback subs. Uh, You could have started Fontana. You could have played the Diamond. If you were going to play Jamiro, uh, if you were going to play Bedoya, if you were going to play Harris, you could have kept him the Diamond. You could have started Fontana. Like Fontana was good enough to start the first two games of last year, right? So what now? Yeah, you know i don't i don't know it's i appreciate the fact that they go back and forth between the two formations i like what bobby said about like not necessarily have a, like a plan b but kind of how they meld the two of them together but uh i don't know there's some curious lineup stuff he did last night yeah uh brian says even after last night's awful performance people are still calling for him to start i don't understand please help me um, yeah, I mean I didn't really pay too much attention to Mbizo last night, but yeah, I didn't I don't know if I saw anything that really stood out to me. I don't know, it just seems strange. I just keep going back to that comment that Ernst made where well we have Mbizo too. You know, but now like Gaddis can't be taken out of the lineup, you know. So uh Cullen says, I'm still saying the union being out of the open cup is not a bad thing. They have a chance to do great things in the league this year. And now Jim Jim won't have to worry about lineup jostling later on. That's true. That's very true. I mean, it's, it's, you're not, you're not going to have that, like, oh shit, do we, do we start Harris in the Open Cup quarterfinals on Wednesday while we've got Atlanta coming up on Saturday? You know what I mean? So, uh, regardless of what he was going to do with lineups and, and rotation and stuff like that, you know, the guys who were doubling over, uh, you know, the the entire team, because it's not, you're just, you're not going to do an entire just second team. It's not going to be 11 different guys. Like he he never does that. So even if there was four and seven new players or six and five or something like that, now you got everybody fresh, you know? So I think I'll take that. I just, I don't know how to, I really don't know how to describe this. It's just like open cup fatigue or something like that. It seems like that's what I'm scrolling through here. That's what a lot of people are saying. Pat says after last year's, debacle in houston i'm relieved i don't have to stress out about the open cup this year am i alone no you're not alone uh synonymous bosch says that um jimbo lamb says losing in this round of the open cup was a blessing um john Krasafi says salaries re- were released yes we didn't talk about that salary the salary list came out um i think tannenwald sent out 400 tweets about that No, I'm just kidding. JT, I love you, man. Um, Salaries released. And an analysis I've been pondering, comparison of teams based on salary salary dollars slash minutes played versus points in the table. Yeah, I think I saw that. um, I think somebody pulled that stat and actually did it yesterday. I think the union were number one in terms of most points versus their total salary. I think Houston was number two. So they're not spending they're spending the least amount for the most points in the table. So they're really punching above their weight, you know. They're they're doing more with Moneyball this year than they ever have. You know, I'm sure Jay Sugarman is like beside himself, like saying, Yeah, this is what I was what I was been trying to do for forever now, you know? Um John's uh, John said the main question was to see if some teams like the union actually field a lower dollar minimum or uh per minutes because uh huge contracts of being out injured benched oh yeah that's interesting like okay so Santos like if Santos and Fabian aren't even really playing all that much yeah I mean if you take out like the guys who like their highest paid players aren't even really like their biggest contributors you know it was Fabian at like 1.8 million or something like that it was Santos at like 600,000 I want to want to say Bedoya was like 1.1 million but then like the crop of like is, like six hundred K, Montero is like five hundred K, something like that. Um paying two million dollars to that midfield is a steal, isn't it? Medunian in and Montero, you got him from two million dollars? Why the hell not, you know? Um, Jim Curtin's new agent says, uh I posted this elsewhere, uh, but might as well discuss Jim. Does he get extended before the end of the season? Uh if no, uh what kind of playoffs does he need to have? Um, if he goes to the end, he could sign anywhere. Is it naive to think that no other team will be bidding for his services? I don't know, yeah again, i just I think there's some weird optics thing going on here where they you know he only comes back for on a one year thing, so what they bring him back for one year and then they extend him five months later doesn't that just look weird like they're admitting to themselves that they made the wrong decision last year. I still like the fact of let's get to the end of this year and Jim's like motivated and he's trying to prove himself and he's in a, he's technically he's in a contract year. Coaches can be in contract years too. Um, helps him leverage. Look, is he going to sign? If what if they, they could bullshit him? They could offer him some bullshit down. Say, oh, we'll give you two more years at like a hundred thousand dollars. What if they go to the playoffs and win a couple games? And he says, no, I want three years at one twenty-five. You know, so he's also betting on himself a little bit here. You know, it's a it's a big. He can get more out of this instead of just reassurance, like he's having that good of a year that he could, he could take this into something more than just the assurance that he's going to be in his dream job for a couple more years. You know what I mean? So, but it's interesting, you know, it's just an interesting dynamic with that. Um, Cullen uh, says also, can we please get everyone listening to write Jay sugar daddy, a letter asking him to sign a top striker. Now's the time to do it. If so, let's push him over the line. I agree with that. Maddie G says, it's not a bad thing to focus on one thing. The MLS season, but last night was so union. Yeah, I guess it was. It was so union, but it didn't, like, bother me. Is that the takeaway? Is that the way to say it? George says, can your secret source shed any light on the Andrew Vooten rumor? Yeah, what what did I hear? He might be interested in coming back to MLS or teams were uh, going after him or something like that. I mean, he's German, right? He's German-American. I think he's 29 now. He's playing for Sandhausen. Uh, I think he, I want to say he has like something like 30 or 40 goals and like 100 appearances for them, or is it like 29, 35, something like that? I mean, he could do worse, right? I still want to see more of Sergio. I still think Sergio Santos has it in him. I just don't know. I don't know what it takes to pull it out of him, you know? Uh, Jack Fritz Adelphi is legendary says thoughts on the shocking Gaddis story and I know that Jack Fritz Adelphi is just bullshitting me now this is his thing that he does every week he just says he makes up some shit and then I say oh I didn't hear about that and I fell for it like three times in a row but I'm not I'm not falling for it again asshole Um, Jack says would you rather win the league or the CONCACAF Champions League Um, CONCACAF Champions League bro you kidding me because like, that means you would have went through harder to win the Champions League than it is the the um, the MLS Cup. Because, first of all, if you get to the Champions League, if you qualify for the Champions League, it means you already achieved something. You won the Open Cup. You came in, like, first or second place. Shield, you won the MLS Cup. And then if you win the Champions League, it means you had to go through, like, one of, like, Pachuca or Club America or Tigres or something like that, Monterey. So, yeah, CCL all day, baby. Philadelphia Union versus – Santos Laguna at Talon Energy Stadium in February, right? Do you think WIP would even know what the fuck that any of that means? Um, Alex Armstrong says, If Fabian continues to not work out well, do we let him walk after this year and look to purchase Monterio? Montero? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's a shame. Uh, but, you know, Fabian not going to the Gold Cup and get him healthy, we need you, man, because uh, I don't think... Sorry, I don't think Andrew, uh, Andrew, Andrew Vooten, uh, Brendan Aronson. I don't know, he's just not there yet. So, um, all right, that was it, that was uh, the last one. Hope you guys enjoyed having Bobby on again. Um, really like talking to him because he's just got a good player's perspective on I like being able to get into like X's and O's and deep into that kind of stuff with him. Um, shout out to SOB Tallahassee again for sending these beers down here. I'll get to the, the uh, three others next week. Um, like obviously like my daughter is seven weeks old, so she can't share the beers with me. Baxter, uh, technically could drink the beers, but he can't talk. So he can't share any thoughts on them. And my wife is taking care of both of those guys at the same time. I think she was nervous. and I I think she needs some encouragement to make her podcast debut, but the sublime key line was the bomb. I'm going to finish drinking that right now. Um, but yeah, for, um, for episode number 82 or 83, whatever this is, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, also, I think we're going to do the live podcast at 5 o'clock on the 20th. I got feedback from some of you guys. I appreciate that. So I think we're going to go July 20th um, at the Larimer Beer Company before the Chicago game. I think we're going to go from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Um, I have two guests lined up for the show. That's uh, not really any secret or any surprise or anything like that, but I think you'll be very happy with who we have on the show. And uh, that will be revealed hopefully shortly. I'm finishing up the flyer right now, so look out for that. All right. Thanks, everybody. I will talk to you later.